you join me in praying one more time? Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We stand in awe of you this morning. We thank you for uh, the all-sufficiency of your dear son. It's a good thing to be in your house this morning. And now, Lord, we need to hear from you. We want to hear from you. So I pray for your grace to faithfully preach your word. I pray that you would give us ears and hearts that are receptive to hear what you have to say. Matter of fact, I pray that you would real, be the real preacher this morning. It's your voice they will hear. And when it's all said and done, we'll give you all the glory and honor. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning, Church of the Palms. It is good to be here. Um, I don't even feel like I'm away at a visiting church. I feel like I'm at home. And I'm truly grateful for uh, the relationship that Light of the World and Church of the Palms has. And I'm really grateful for my dear friend and brother, Pastor Steve McConnell. Can we give him a hand? Thank him for his leadership, his humility. <clears throat> my wife was a little worried. I told her I had to preach three services. Today. She's like, three services? I was like, but they're not like black services. Like, <laughs> like you know, we're just black people. We're just in church all too long, man. And uh, it's like, it's not the same. And um, we're in church so much. Uh, I often say, if I go to hell, I'm going to be really mad because I'm in church all the time. <laughs> but uh, I, I am truly grateful. Steve, thank you so much for the privilege of allowing me to serve your people and serve Church of Palm today. So uh, I'm not a long-winded preacher. I'm usually like an hour, 20 minutes. So, uh, <laughs> so I'm going to get to work. Uh, you've seen the scripture in the bulletin, Acts chapter 1. I'm just going to read it again if that's okay. And I'm going to start with the second clause of chapter, uh, verse number 1 of chapter 8, Acts chapter 8, beginning with the second clause of verse number 1. I'm reading from the NIV. Here's the word of the Lord. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Verse number four is where I really want to emphasize. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Amen. The word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Just for a few moments, I want to use this thought to guide us. I want to talk about the power through persecution. Power through persecution. Phineas Taylor Barnum was an American politician in the 1800s. Actually, a very effective politician. He was at one point the mayor of Bridgeport, Connecticut, helped modernize the city, served in the Connecticut State House, and was an effective, outspoken critic against slavery in the United States, and it was even vocal about the expansion of slavery in newly acquired territories. That, but that's not, how really, that's not really how he's known. And I wish he was better known for his politics, but Phineas Barnum is best known as an entertainer. Uh, later in his life, he would have great success in the entertainment business, but that success came after a lot of heartache and disappointment early in his entertainment career. Earlier in his career, he purchased a museum that would house his hoaxes and freaks of nature, his oddities, only to watch it burn to the ground. Uh, Phineas was devastated to see his work, his life's work, burn to the ground. And it took him years to recover financially and emotionally. But he did recover. 
Some years later, he built a new theater to house his entertainment. Matter of fact, he built it on the site of present-day Madison Square Garden, only a year later to watch it burn to the ground. He was devastated, (laughs) but this time, in his despair, he got an amazing idea. He got an idea that instead of building a building and have people come to the building, why don't, I take my, why don't I take my show on the road and take the show to people? And so that's what he did. He would later join forces with James Anthony Bailey, later with the Ringland Brothers, and they would form the greatest show on earth. Before the fire, P.T. Barnum's show was the greatest show in New York, but then became the greatest show on earth because he took it to people. And I want to submit to you that maybe the Church of Jesus Christ needs to take a lesson from P.T. Barnum. Could it be that our paradigm of getting people to come here is limited and misguided? Maybe we ought to start taking the show to them. It's okay if you say amen. (laughs) In this particular passage, when we pick up in the book of Acts, in in chapter 8, the church is going through a great persecution. Uh, Stephen has been martyred, has been killed with the consent of Saul, who will eventually become the Apostle Paul. And that's not just an isolated event, but it begins a great persecution on the church. Earlier in the book of Acts, you see persecution of individuals. You see Peter being persecuted. You see the apostles being persecuted. But now the persecution is spreading. But I want to submit to you something paradoxical in this text. I want to suggest to you that persecution, though painful, though saddening, is actually sometimes a necessary cure for the church's complacency. That persecution actually can be a powerful aid to the spread of the gospel. My dear grandmother, my sainted grandmother used to say, uh, and I don't know if it was theologically correct, but she used to say, the devil bought it, but God sent it. I don't know if that's theologically correct, but I think we can conclude this, that persecution, maybe God does not send it, but he does allow it. And even if he doesn't send it, we know that God can use what he didn't cause. And we see in this passage how God uses persecution to cure the complacency of the church. If you read the book of Acts, you'll remember in the beginning of the book of Acts, uh, Jesus gives the church its marching orders to go in all the world. Start off in Judea and Samaria. Start there and preach this gospel in all the world. But you'll notice by chapter 8 that this, this thing happens, and it happens today, that the church has this tendency to go from a dynamic, moving organism to a stagnant organization or institution. It's amazing to me how we often, over the years, over the centuries, lose our, our vibrancy, lose our fire, And then we kind of settle in and become institutionalized and begin to lose our power. And just like P.T. Barnum's first museum, we want people to come to us when really the church was always designed to take the gospel to people. And so then God in his wisdom, sometimes brothers and sisters, allows persecution to be the catalyst for us to get out of the pews and to go and spread the gospel to others. I want to suggest to you that persecution never hurt anybody. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not praying for persecution. I love these United States. 
I'm proud to be an American. I love our religious freedoms. But the reality is I've been to some other places of the world where they're being persecuted, where they don't have a friend in the government, and the church is thriving. The church is growing. The church is vibrant. People are being one to Christ. And don't get me wrong, even my, 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 my religious belief informs my politics. My, my, my faith in Christ determines who I vote for. It determines who, who I ultimately cast a ballot for. But, but we might want to be careful what we're asking for. I know we want a religious government. I, I get that. And I, I'll, I'll admit I do too. But the reality is, is that the church thrives in persecution. Notice in the text that, that this persecution breaks up the complacency of the church. It, it breaks up their comfort. Here, here's what I love about, about persecution is that it, it ends our comfort. The actress Regina King said that the comfort zone is where dreams go to die. I want to add my twist to that and suggest that the comfort zone is where ministries go to die. We get so comfortable in our air-conditioned pews, in our, our seats, and with our programs, and all around us, people are dying. I've had to challenge my own church just a couple of weeks ago. I got a call from the Sarasota Police Department, and in the new, new town, the community that I grew up in, 17-year-old was shot, a 19-year-old was shot, a 9-year-old was shot by another 17-year-old, and a 10-year-old was driving the car. And I had to look at myself in the face and look at my church in the face and, and say, what good is it if our churches are in the worst neighborhoods, but the neighborhood never gets better? What good is it if we're having a good time on the inside, but it never translates to the outside? And so this persecution breaks up the comfort in Jerusalem. And it actually, here's what persecution does. It actually doesn't change their mission, but actually gets them back on mission. They get back to what they should have been doing in Acts chapter 1. And notice this, that when they leave Jerusalem, they didn't, lo- they didn't leave and just go resettle for more comfort, but the text is amazing. The text says that wherever they go, they preach the word of God. Wherever they go, they preach God's word. These last couple of years have been difficult for ministry. And I look at my own church, and I think in some ways we've done well, and in some ways, we probably missed the mark. But this preacher is convinced that if God didn't send COVID, if he didn't cause the George Floyd incident, he's definitely using it for his glory. Because could it be that COVID, George Floyd, has forced us out of our comfort zone and forced us to go to Samaria? It's forced us to go to Judea. Could it be that George Floyd's death is? forced us to take a look at what we think about racism, about America? Could it be that COVID has decentralized the building and we had to preach to cameras where we only had to focus not on the pews but on the word of God? Could it be, brothers and sisters, that God is using all of these things to get us out of our comfort zone and to get us back to sharing the gospel wherever we go? Brothers and sisters, it is not just the preacher's job to spread the gospel. It is not just Steve McConnell's job or Kelvin Lumpkin's job to tell people about Jesus. But if you are a recipient of the grace of God, it is your responsibility as well to tell somebody about Jesus. And it is my prayer. I was praying before I came here. It is my prayer that Church of the Palms won't be the greatest church on Beaver Road. 
Won't be the greatest show on Bee Ridge Road, but will be the greatest show in Sarasota. I pray that Light of the World won't be the greatest show on Chapel Drive, but the greatest show in Newtown, the greatest show in Sarasota, that God is going to use this season to put fire under us to go and preach the gospel wherever we go. Amen. God bless you, family. Thank you so much. You better be glad I haven't had my espresso. I would have been longer. Thank God you came to the first service. <laughs> Steve, it's okay if I pray for us, pray for our churches. Join me in prayer one more time. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this amazing church, and I thank you for every one of the members who are connected to this great church. Father, I pray that this house is going to be used to spread the gospel, not just in Sarasota, but all over the world. So, Father, we thank you. Thank you for the partnership. I thank you for your word. And so, Father, we volunteer. Use us. Forgive us for complacency. Forgive us for comfortable Christianity. And, Father, I pray that you would use us to preach this gospel everywhere we go. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you, family. Thank you.